Good morning. I wish I could have been there for Sunday school and then come and hear these songs. It was ridiculous. I'm not kidding you. It's amazing how God moves. Sometimes you wonder if you're hearing God. Then you get around other people. They're supposedly anointed preachers and worship leaders. And you find out if if they're not hearing God, then, then I'm all messed up because we're hearing the same thing. And that's God. That's how he puts, puts his thoughts into you. You think they're your thoughts. They're actually God speaking to you. He sends other people around to confirm that for you. And it builds up your faith in him. So I'm just blessed. I love you people. Despite who you are. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I, uh, Gary, when is your uh, little thing, procedure? Tuesday. And how long will it take? Can you believe this? This guy's going to be dancing in a jig. With you. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter 9. You know, this is a this is one of the pivotal weeks in the Christian calendar. I guess you guys know that. I know you wouldn't. Palm Sunday. Isn't that interesting? This is Palm Sunday. This is the last week of Jesus' life. And on this day, he enters the city to the praise and adulation of everyone who a few days later are going to be saying, be saying crucify him. Such is life. And we've been talking about you know, his preparation for this week. Uh, these last several Sundays we've been talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Where Jesus, on his way back to Jerusalem for the last time, which is coincided with this day, had to settle it within himself. That he was going to do this. You know, the Bible says uh, that he set his face like a flint. In other words, he just, that's the deal, and I'm doing it. Talks about it in Isaiah 50. He was fulfilling a prophecy there. He says, I, the Lord has given me the ears of the worm that I might hear. And I was not rebellious. He gives me eyes to see. And I was not rebellious. What does that mean? God was showing him what was about to take place. I mean, he knew he came to be the sacrifice for sins for mankind. But there was more to it than just dying. There was all the stuff that led up to the dying. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was mocked. He was spit upon. They pulled his beard out of his face. He was beaten with stripes, which is how we were healed. God was showing him all this. And he, I'm sure, was thinking about, do I really want to do this? And so he then decided that he would do this. That was his baptism of fire, where he said, I will do your will. Well, the, the, it was because it was time. It was time for him to be received up as a sacrifice. And we're now in that week to, to commemorate that. His sacrifice was just the latest at that time, the latest of all the sacrifices that had been going on for a long time. You know, over a thousand years, these sacrifices had been going on. And, uh, and in some ways, you may say even 2,000. So all through the Old Testament, there was these sacrifices that were being made. And uh, each one of them uh, had something to do with the state of man. And so what I'd like for you to do is we're going to read some of them in a quick moment. Knowing this, that the sacrifice of Jesus fulfilled every one of these Old Testament sacrifices that had been put down. They weren't just sacrifices, they were rituals. And they were put down there so that uh, the man, the man himself who was unclean because of sin in the world could enter into the presence of a God who was holy. And no sin at all. 
So they had a series of things that they could do to fix the, the, the issues of life that they had run into that made them unclean. I mean, everybody makes mistakes, right? Every day, make a mistake. And so there was a, something that you could do. Uh, God set a law up so that you could deal with that one thing that happened and get it right with God. And, and there was a bunch of them. Read the book of Leviticus or Exodus or Numbers. I mean, there's just like hundreds of these things to deal with the problems of being human and dealing with a perfect God who wants to be in your presence. But if you go into his presence like you are, then you're a dead man. Because sin can't stay in his presence. So here we are in Hebrews chapter 9. Did I tell you that? Chapter 9. It talks about this. What Jesus did when he came. Verse 11. The heavenly sanctuary. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. Or the things which are now are. With a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands. That is not of this creation. And not with the blood of goats and calves. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats, this is Old Testament stuff that they did, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. That's why they did it. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, Another place says blemish. Spot or blemish to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, the law, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So Jesus' sacrifice one time addressed all the sacrifices and rituals that the Old Testament had been going on for hundreds of years. One time. And they had to continually do them. He did it once. Why? Why did he even come? We had the law and it was doing the, you know, his thing. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. The first covenant, the law. Verse 1. The law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, and you should underline the next section, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. The law was incapable of hitting the final mark and taking it away, the problem away. All it did was take it away for that moment. But it would always come back. The law did that. So Jesus came one time to take care of that one covenant, fulfill it, and move us into another covenant, which is better. Look at verse 5. It gets down to the core of the issue right here. And this, what we're about to read here, folks, is his baptism of fire. Verse 5. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering, Father God, you did not desire. But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I, Jesus said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So he came to do the will of Father. And... Let's just keep reading. Previously saying sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had any pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law. Then he says, behold, I've come to do your will. Oh, God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. And by that will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. So Jesus ran, got to the nub of the matter. He came to do the will of God. You know, above all things, his own will or anybody else's will. I mean, people, when it gets down to it, you know, we want to do as much as we have to do, but not any more than that, really. You know, can we cut it short a little bit? But Jesus nailed the thing. I'm come to do your will. Thank you for this body that you gave me so I can offer it as the sacrifice. 
The blood of goats and bulls and anything else for that matter was not enough. The blood of God himself was the only thing that was going to take care of our sin. Yeah. So Jesus did that. He came and he did that. So that we might, well, what? Live life. Get that, folks. That we might live life. That we might come into every issue of life where we're not, we're not redeemed completely out of this body yet. This body still has got its stuff, right? You ever cuss? You think that's right? Honestly, do you think that's right to do that? Every time I do what I want to cut my tongue off. So my tongue's pretty short these days. So, everything that we fail on, the blood of Jesus Christ addresses that. There is literally is power in his blood. It can address everything. Power in his blood. And it will address everything. To the point where we, in verse 19 of chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near. We can go near to God. With a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's a wonderful scripture. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about a sacrifice. Back to chapter 9. Jesus' sacrifice, like, like I said, fulfilled every Old Testament ritual slash sacrifice offering that was there. Every one of them. Each one of those were designed to address a particular issue of life. A failure of some sort. To get you back into a right state. And so his sacrifice like that addresses each particular issue of life. And if you look at these offerings of the Old Testament, you find elements in that sacrifice that were pointing to what was being addressed in the sinful thing. Okay, so whatever it was, it looked at that. Now, here's the, here's the formula for it all. Especially, well, no doubt about it, in the New Testament. Here's the formula. To address whatever the issue is, to get a result that you need. Here's the formula. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That we, here's the result, might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So whatever the issue is, he went to that thing. So that I get the exact opposite of result of what I'm into. I go from bad to best. He knew no sin. But he became it. So that I can get out of whatever sin I'm in. And become righteous right there. It's an amazing thing. That's his formula. So we missed it a while ago. You know, like, so what, look at the Old Testament. Uh, when it talks about the, the sacrifice of Jesus in Isaiah 53, here's the formula. He was wounded. What for? Our transgressions. Bruised. Why? For our iniquities. The chastisement that was necessary for our peace was on him. And by his stripes, I am healed. I mean, you start bad, you end up great. This is the formula. You like that? I mean, he nails every issue of life. We're going to talk about one of them today. One of them. Let's go back to chapter 9, verse 13. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, here's the elements. We're going to talk to you about the ashes of a heifer. What's that got to do with anything? Well, it has a few other things that's a part of this sacrifice. It sprinkles the unclean. It goes to the unclean thing, the ashes of a heifer, sanctifying for the purifying of the flesh. Now, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit 
offered himself without spot, without spot, cleanse your conscience. So I got all these things that had to be done. I have my, have my conscience cleaned. I had to deal with spots. And it's all through a red heifer. All right. Now they kind of blend it here. They don't really split this out here in this verse, but that's what they're referring to when they said the red heifer, the heifer, the ashes of a heifer. Now let's first look at the, the things that, that God uses to deal with what the red, the red heifer is really all about. First of all, he did it. Just like he, he who knew no sin became sin, he deals with spots and blemishes. He became spotted and blemished where you are spotted and blemished. Amen? Look at First uh, Peter chapter 1. He brings out the same point, except he uses both of those words. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. Now, I love that line right there. Where are you going? Oh, no. Aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So what are spots and blemishes? A blemish, well, a spot is an external sin, a defect. A blemish is an internal sin, an iniquity, something basically that you choose. So he had no internal conflicts, no out, outward manifestations of sin, of living a sinful life. You, do you, anybody have spots in your life? Do y'all have spots? I'm not talking about looking at your skin. I got spots because I'm old. What about the fact that you can't walk very good? Your knee hurts all the time. What did you do? Is any of that because of the conduct of your life, do you think? Anybody? You get my point? Are you broken somewhere because of some sin that you conducted later, earlier in your life, and it's now showing itself in your body? I don't want to go to the most obvious areas, right? The devil's in the details, but you get what I'm saying. Right? Jesus had none of that. But he took on that. To go at something to you. Amen? Now, think about this. So, why did he take on spots and blemishes? You remember what he says about his bride? In Ephesians 5? He loved her. Gave the word to her. Why? That he might cleanse her from every spot and blemish. So the bride is going to be like that. Is it like without spot blemish? No. Until he addresses each one of those in us, and then he can take it away. So that's, that's the result that he gets by taking on the spot and the blemish to redeem us from that. Look at Second Peter. Let's look at a spot and blemish here. This is an pl- interesting scripture because it actually calls out people... And says that the people that we're about to mention are spots and blemishes. Not only do they have them, they become them. Which is interesting. Chapter 2, look at the caption above chapter 2. Destructive doctrines. So it has something to do with doctrines that people teach. Look at the caption above verse 4. Doom of false teachers. In other words, the people who have the destructive doctrines and are teaching them what their end is. is. Look at verse 12. The caption above it. The depravity of false teachers. Let's start there. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. What is the wages of sin? Death. Thank you. Did we sing a lot about death today? Did we talk about death in Sunday school? Interesting, isn't it? Here comes a sermon. 
They will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime or party in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Children. That's interesting. They have forsaken. That means they used to be in. But now they have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness or of sin. Because there is a reward for sin. You get high. You get off. Whatever. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak, speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. We can quit reading right there. That's enough of that. But my point is this. This, is, this that we just read started with the times of Peter. He said it would get worse to the end of time. And they were bringing these damnable heresies. And they are promising the, the Christians liberty as they speak to you that it's okay for women to marry women. For you to worship Islam and God to Father God as well. And I, can I go on? It is okay to carouse in the daytime. What are they saying? That the wages of sin are not death. I'm promising you that they're not. I'm promising you liberty while they themselves are actually under bondage itself, doomed. And it's coming on us like a tidal wave. Stronger and stronger and stronger. And all these, I mean, we got some big time preachers declaring that it's okay. Can I mention the Pope? You know? That guy, I tell you what, folks, you better watch that guy. When he brings the head of the Islamic Faith, the Sunnis, into the Vatican and allows the, 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 the reading from the Koran in the Vatican and a prayer to, to Allah in the Vatican and says, it's okay. We're all children of Abraham. <clears throat> you get where this is going? And there's others, folks. We are in the midst of the end of things. So you ought to wake up. Do you think it's not going to affect you? Well, I don't live in Rome. And I don't live in Dallas where they say, you know, stuff that you shouldn't say. Where your idea about homosexuality has evolved. And it's evolving even more. Really? Really? Where we can elect... Governors who say, you know, abortion, let's go ahead and have the baby, and then we'll debate whether we want to kill it or let it live. Is there any difference between letting it live for a day or two and then killing it than it is when they're three months old in the womb? Is that really any difference at all? You get the point? We have been hoodwinked. And it's time to wake up because you cannot drag that stuff into the presence of God. But the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, was there for you to get rid of that. Even if you had all that stuff, he's there to forgive that stuff. But what is your part? It's not to go around saying, well, that never really was a big deal. It's not a big deal today. I'll get drunk today. Who cares? Or, you know. Do like I did when I was in high school. I couldn't get drunk anymore because every time I did, I puked my brains out. 
Last time I was in Austin, Jerry said, you know, at your college, getting drunk on the river, and I couldn't even remember going back to my hotel. I was so freaking drunk that they had to carry me back to the hotel. And I must have puked out there because when I got to the hotel the next morning trying to puke, I couldn't puke anymore because there was nothing left. I decided that day there's a better way. Drugs. That's what I did. So, uh, should I get stoned anymore? Is there liberty in that? Should there be? Was that a cheap shot or was that, this is right, you know, that's probably a good preaching. I think that's really strong preaching. Would you be looking at these things? You may not be in wrong, you may not be in doubt, but by God, you're in Andrews. And there's stuff going on. I want to talk to you about one thing that, that might help us. Seriously, I mean, this could actually help you instead of beating you up. It's the ashes of a red heifer. What does that mean? What is the purpose? What uh, situation of life does that sacrifice point to that we need help from? Turn with me to Numbers 19. Numbers 19. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no spot or defect, and on which a yoke has never come. So those, those are your elements right there. Red heifer, no spot or, or blemish, no yoke. So every one of these points that they bring up has a purpose to address something that we deal with. Okay. You shall bring, give it to Eleazar, the priest, that he might uh, take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Stop for a minute. So look at what they're doing with the blood. I mean, remember, Jesus fulfilled this, okay? He fulfilled this offering as well. We just read it in Hebrews 9. So the blood of Christ... And it's sprinkled seven times at the tabernacle. So what does that mean? Have nothing to shoot at except the tabernacle? No. What that means is this. The tabernacle represented the entire nation. So in in Jewish they call it a cad. Is that which contains everything. Everyone in the nation. So it is a representation of us all. So what we're doing with this particular sacrifice is dealing with an issue that affects us all. Every one of us. I mean, what I just mentioned was some of my issues, drinking and getting high. And none of you have that issue. Maybe a few of you have that issue. Well, maybe most of you have that issue. Maybe. maybe. But there are some issues that we all have. Right? And this is one of them right here. The blood at the tabernacle. Verse 5. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Here's the baptism of fire. Okay, you know, burned. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its opal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until the evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer 
and store them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall, these ashes shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel. For the entire congregation. This is for everyone again. Why? For the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. So what they would do is they would take these ashes and store it. And when the event happened that needed to be dealt with, they'd get those ashes, they'd put it into pure water. We read that in Hebrews, by the way. Your body's cleaned with pure water. Put it in the water, and then sprinkle that upon the person that needed it. And we all need it. All right? There's only been six red heifers in the history of Israel. Those ashes... Lasted for a long time. And if you're ever reading prophecy type teachers, they're always looking for the red heifer. They find one red heifer, they say, and and the temple's fixed to get built. We'll address that here in a minute. But red heifer. And that's what it's for. So it's for, it's in a purification from sin. And so that kind of begs the question then, what sin? There were all kinds of sins that they did offerings for, right? Sin offerings, they had burnt offerings, they had uh, jealousy offerings, kind of like that one. So, so all kinds of stuff. So what, what sin are we talking about? Look at verse 11. He who touches a dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water, this water purification, on the third day. And on the seventh day, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean. Because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him, his uncleanness is still on him. Wow. Look at the ramifications of not appropriating this sacrifice. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? Cut off from the rest of Israel. Cannot enter to the temple of God because your defilement is still on you. What defilement? Death. The defilement of death. Isn't that the one thing that is common to us all? It is appointed to all. Wants to die. We all have to face this. Gosh, we've had a lot of death around here lately. Haven't we? Interesting. I wonder if we've appropriated the offering for that defilement. And it says, if you just touch the person of a dead person, you were defiled. Now, what is it about death? See, death is the, uh, the pinnacle of uncleanness. It is the peak of sin. All right? God is a God of the living not of the dead. I mean, it's the absolute worst thing that can happen because of sin. I mean, I actually want to go if your knees hurt or something else hurts because of your sin. Bad enough. But death comes on us all. And why does it come on us all, folks? Because of sin. In Adam, we all sinned. He said, you eat that thing, you're going to die. And in Adam, we all sinned. And so on us all, the penalty of death has come. And then there's no higher uncleanness than that one. And the interesting thing is, is that death itself, the uncleanness, <coughs> is infectious. It will infect others. Wow, that's weird. So why does anybody die again? Sin. So some sin that Larry does will kill Larry. Right? That's the truth. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'll pick on myself. 
And then I ain't going to tell you which one it is. There's probably several. I have a top ten list. Uh, so those things, let's go back to the Peter thing. What do I preach? The things that are going to kill me? The things which I once did? Should I continue getting drunk until I can't get, I get sick? Is that what I should be preaching? It'll kill me. Okay, and I won't preach that. I'll preach about getting high. I've never puked for getting high. Well, I did one time. We got some bad weed. Think that'll kill me? I remember one time I dropped some acid. And I walked around the same day. I'm saying, what's wrong with Austin? I walked around this same block, I bet you, 50 times, trying to get down. I thought I would never come down. I thought I was going to be one of those loony bin kind of people that they stick in something, you know, stoned all the time. I was begging God, who, by the way, at the time, I didn't even believe existed. But at that day, I did, please bring me down. I'll never do it again. Why? Should I preach that? Should I tell you how great that is? What a great time we have doing that. When I do that, aren't I preaching death? Am I infecting you? The doctrine of demons using a person to spill it out as if it's a good thing and said, don't worry about it. We got Jesus. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's that blemish on the inside. Right? Y'all with me? So what death were these cats talking about? Why why did he bring this up and, and why now? Is it important? Did you notice? Well, maybe you didn't, but in my Bible, I put the dates of things. And this is in the year 1491 B.C. That means something. Actually, I missed it. 1471. 1491 was when they came out of Egypt and went to Mount Sinai. 20 years later, they're not at Mount Sinai anymore. They're in the wilderness. They're in a place called Paran. And in that place, you know, they have a problem. They have a rebellion led by a guy named Korah. He's mentioned in the New Testament. It says, don't do what Korah did. Tell the Christians that, by the way. Don't do what Korah did. Korah led a rebellion against, against Moses and Aaron. That day, 14,000 people got killed by God. He opened up the earth, and they fell in. And the earth swallowed them. So there was a lot of death to get free of that day. And that's what this was created for. But it wasn't just that day, folks. Think about, you know... (laughs) This is something that wasn't given at the Ten Commandments time. This was given later because of failure by people to not enter in to what God had called them to do. This generation had failed to enter in. This is a particularly bad place for the rod generation. Janine kind of hit on it a little bit last time she was up here. You know what? There's some bad memories that we need to get rid of. Amen. Why? Because they showed death. You know, this place is called Paran, but what's even even more interesting about it, it is it it uh it is the region of exile. They they not only could they not enter in, they were exiled. And they would never even get a sniff of that thing again. The region of exile. The area of their wandering aimlessly around due to their failure. It is literally called the land of the shadow of death. 
So he sang a song about it. I couldn't believe it. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But you're with me, are you? Well, maybe, maybe he can be. It's a bad place for that generation. My question to you guys is, look around. The problems that you, if you're of the sword generation, I want the younger ones, I want to ask you this question. Do you think that the people of my generation and the errors that we made affects you? Should we glorify our errors? Should you glorify the errors of my generation? Why? Because they lead to death. And they will infect you with uncleanness where you can't get around God to the level that you want to get. You're not free of it. You know, I said a while ago, he had, he, he had no blemish. It's an internal thing, like an iniquity. Okay? And it can be passed on. The key point here, I think, concerning this is, we'll go back to verse 2. Let's look at the, the, the elements of this heifer. First of all, it's red. Now, why does that matter? Because red is the most common color among cattle. We're not talking about some special thing, folks. <laughs> They're finding red cow. They're everywhere. So we're not talking about something, you know, that's, oh, unique. We're talking about something that's common. Because we all die. So, Jesus was unique, though. But he came, became common for this purpose. He took on the, the structure of a human being. He was in heaven, for crying out loud. God himself became human, common. And it's not just a red cow or a bull like they usually did. No, no, this was a heifer. You know what heifers are? Thank you, Mr. Miscellaneous. Yeah, it's a female cow. A female cow that has not had birth yet. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus became like that. Common, and not the male, which was normally used for sacrifices, but a female. Why? Because the issue was death. So I'll take the one who bears life, the woman, and I will use that one to slay the one that brings death. Isn't that amazing? He thought it through. So he got the red, and we got the heifer, and the last part, it's never had a yoke on it. Boy, that just went, boom, oh my God. A yoke. Never had a yoke. Wow. Let me read you what a yoke means. Yokes, a yoke speaks to relationships. Oh, you know how it is. They put two oxen out there and they put this barb on a yoke. So it speaks to relationships and it indicates the exercise of power by one over the other. Huh. Generally in a bad way. For example, the power or the influence that one exerts over the other can be sinned. So my sin can exercise power or influence over you. Hmm. Now this particular sacrifice, you find one that has never had to deal with that. That would be Jesus, correct? See, our sin is what yokes us, Right? Beware of the yoke of sin. Jesus said it this way, take my yoke on you. Get rid of that other one. It's hard. This one's easy. So he who knew no sin, who knew no yoke, became it for us. So in this sense, I want to take someone who's never had a yoke on them, and I want to sacrifice that for people who are yoked like crazy. Well... 
Look at 1 Corinthians. If the influence can be sin, let's look at what it can get down to. 1 Corinthians 5. Now we're talking about a, a, a new tabernacle or a new gathering place. It is called the church. We are the church. And this is our church. And so in, there was a church in Corinth that Paul set up. And he writes this to them in chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. I guess it's a stepmother. And you are puffed up, proud, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in body and present in spirit, have already judged it, as though I were present, him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Please stop for a minute. Isn't this interesting? This person is saved. We'll go to heaven. But it's implying that if we don't stop his craziness, he may lose that. Right? Right? That his, that he may be saved in the day of the Lord. If you don't turn him over to Satan, let Satan kill him now. Then he's going to keep doing this stupid stuff and lose what precious one thing he has left. His eternity. It's pretty big. Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Do you know, now here's the scripture, do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So if I have this uncleanness of death in my life from somebody else, and I haven't appropriated yet what Jesus did for me in separating me from what that person did, then that leaven from that person's life is going to leaven me. But they don't have to die to leaven me. They can be alive and leaven in me by what they're doing now. Right? So what they're doing now or even when they die, either way, you got to deal with it. Does that make sense to y'all? Is this rocket science? Is it clear as mud? A little leaven affects everything. Okay, so he says, take that guy, kick him out to the devil so Satan can kill him and stop the nonsense. And then we'll see him in heaven. We did this one time as a church. Oh, my God, I've never been in a service like that in my life. You're talking about the fear of God hitting a place. That was crazy. And I ran into the guy that we did this to a few months later in jail. He was in jail. God told me to take the offering, take the communion like Jesus did Judas, and take it to him and offer it to him. <laughs> this was nuts, but I did it. And uh, Stevie Ray. And this guy told us what had happened to him when he was running from the wall. We never said a word, by the way. How that there was a day that hit him, and all of a sudden it felt like he was on fire from the inside out. And he couldn't stop it. We thought, wow. Wow. This is real. It's not a game. Keep going. Therefore, verse 7, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of the sincerity and truth. So, get it out. Now, this guy, good news, was kicked out. He repented and was brought back in. That's the way it's supposed to go. Look at 2 Corinthians. I'm telling you, the issue is a yoke. If you get around people, folks, who have been 
overcome by something like pot from moi. And you hang out with that person and they still want to kind of play a little bit. Just a token do. They're underneath the yoke of that thing. And if you don't watch out, you're going to get sucked into the same yoke. Okay. I hear no amens. I must be on, I must be on someone's toe. Chapter 6, 2 Corinthians, verse, four, verse uh, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I can t- expand on, on that based on what we said today. Do not be unequally yoked together with anyone who's not walking the way they know they should. We just read it, did we not? This guy is having his, his, his father's wife. Get him out of there. You're yoked to him. And the judgment of God will come down on something like that. If you're standing there, like standing, the people that were with Korah standing next to him, they got swallowed up too. Amen. Praise the Lord, I think. So don't be unyoked together with a lot of stuff. Let's just keep reading. Here's the yokes. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? How about communion has light with darkness? Verse 15. What accord is Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. What? The ones who are yoked to this other junk. Come out of there. And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises of what? Of being drawn near to God. Him as my father. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, including the dead, and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, see, here's my point. I did all that to bring you to this point, folks. I'm not trying to hammer you. Well, I am a little bit. But for a point, I just wonder how many of us, including myself here, have not appropriated what Jesus has done for me, especially concerning all the death in my life. And I've got a bunch of it. I mean, I, God, my, my father died when I was 30, when he was 39. You think, you think sin had anything to do with that? Well, let me assure you that it did. I wonder if that's ever affected me. See, the Bible says, for a lack of knowledge, my people go into captivity and are destroyed. But with knowledge that that's one reason he sacrificed himself, to set me free from the iniquity that's passed down from generation to generation and yokes me. Let me tell you this. My father didn't die because of drinking, but drinking was a part of the reason he died. Because it was a lifestyle of partying and playing around and doing other stuff. Guess what happened to me the night he died? It was the first time I ever tasted whiskey. We went straight to someone who had whiskey. I didn't know how to drink it, so I just... That blew my head off, but, you know... And thus it started to where I ended up in Austin, sitting by a river, puking my brains out, not even knowing it, which led me to drugs. Why? There was a yoke there. And I had appropriated to get it off of me. Well, now I am. And I've, I've looked around, and I've noticed that, you know, when death invades a, a, a congregation... Weird stuff takes place. It's like people go crazy. Am I right? And we glory in it. 
You know, I don't know what it is, but somehow I have been called upon to do a lot of funerals, which is the one thing I never wanted to do. I mean, seriously, who wants to preach a funeral? But I've learned I, I can actually do them. You know why? Because you know, I, I focus on the good and try to, you know, pick out the good. Let's, let's, everybody, and, and I try to do this. Maybe you watch this next time I do one. I try to get everybody's attention, not on the bad thing that killed that person, but on the good things that they managed, they managed to glean out of life and say, why don't you do what they did on the good side? Trust Jesus. Help people. Love your wife. Do the right thing. And don't be a drunk, hang out with the guys, you know, don't do that. I don't do that. Unless, and I've been in a few of these, people gather together and they want to glory in the shame of what killed that person. I've been in a few of those. I mean, I was in one here, I mean, I don't think anybody in here was in this one, but my God, that woman was 30? She was young, dead. Why? Alcohol. And you know what everybody wanted to do? I was just here to kind of emcee the thing, not preach. And everybody started glorying. The time that she was drunk here, the time she was drunk there, and the time she said this because she was drunk, and did that because she was drunk, 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 drunk. And I finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. And I stood up and said, can we talk about the other things and how bad that really is? My wife just died. Well, guess why? Something like what you're talking about. And you want to glory in that? It kills people. And I've had a few of those. So here's my second point. I think we need to stand and ask God, if you want to, to set you free from the uncleanness of the death of your life. Amen? Amen. People you know, maybe your parents, that you know would yoke you, and maybe already has. Second thing, you'll bring it right back if you sit there and glory in its shame. It's time to stop the stories about how great it was when I was 22 and stupid. Amen. Amen. And brother, cops, I really wonder about y'all. Not in a bad way, but my God, how much death have you seen? I'm not trying to pick you over you or anything. But that is out there. I was talking to Al about this the other day. And uh, he was talking about Vietnam. And he somehow was trying to minister to a bunch of people who were in some sort of rehab thing that were in Nam. And he said this one guy particularly had a real issue. He would rip the handles off of doors. He was a sharpshooter. And they had something like 18 people. He had blown their heads off or something. When one of those would come out, bam, he'd lose it. The uncleanness of death. It's the enemy of God. And Jesus comes to set us free from that. And at the end of it, he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is it? Well, to those that claim the life that he brought because of this week, it should have no victory at all unless you let it. Time to tighten it up a little bit, people. You know, tighten up your conversation. Tighten up your conduct. Tighten up the things which, you know, yeah, Jesus set us free. I'm not about going back to the law. I'll kill anybody that does that. I will. That law will kill you. I ain't talking about the law. I'm talking about being mature Christians who know what they've been set free. And thank God I've been set free from that thing. Amen. Amen. Does that touch anybody here? Do you have an issue? If you have an issue, stand up with your hands up. I want to pray for you. You don't stand up unless you're really, I'm talking about business now. If you want something from this, let's do it.
Father, in the name of Jesus, we are crying out to you. Point to us the truth of what this really means. Jesus, don't let this go in vain. What you did matters to us. I am praying, oh God, would you set us free. Let every spot and blemish be removed from our life. But let us say yes to that. I don't want it anymore. And let us be mature people and say, and I will not glory in it anymore. Father, we appropriate the blood of Jesus. There is power in that blood to stop this crazy train from running. Set us free. Set us free in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed by saying, Amen. 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 Tonight at six.